Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Ghetto. My name is Hans. I'm Edward. And we are your hosts for now and forevermore. Or at least until some bounty hunter comes and <laughs> slices us up with a door or something. Good grief, Edward. The things you come up with sometimes. Look, that's, that's cool though. Um, with Bounty Hunter on the mind, we're actually going to talk about something related to that in a little bit. Um, for our regular listeners, welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If Hello. you're new, welcome to the internet's best variety podcast that deals with games, entertainment, technology, and lifestyle. All wrapped in a wonderful, sexy package. Yes, I'm going to go with that one today. (laughs) 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 Well, I mean, it technically is. Uh, We know that for our long-term listeners, you guys love our NSFW section, uh, which we're going to bolster a little bit more going forward, just because we know how much you love it. And also, with that said, we love it just as much, actually. (laughs) It's always nice to mess up our research series with all kinds of weird and wacky Well, stuff. I mean, only yeah. mine did we messed up, right? Because isn't this your norm? That's fair. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> well, just remember, hey, you're engaged now. So whatever mm-hmm. is in your history has to be shared. No, that's fine. I'm not. I don't care about that kind of stuff at all. So. Well, no, it's good. It's good, actually, that you guys have a good relationship that way, where you can mm. share all of those kinks. <laughs> you can't see, but I'm raising my eyebrows <laughs> vehemently. Well, we have some very interesting things to speak about in that regard later on in the episode. But before mm. we get to that, Edward, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm actually very, very good today. Oh, Rested really? No, and everything. no uh, migraines or back issues? Uh, or... The, migraine, <laughs> the migraine downgraded into a little bit of a headache, but it's manageable. Oh, that's and all right. That's not What so about bad. you? Oh, thank you for asking. <laughs> I thought I might. Once in a while, you know, I care. <laughs> um, I am definitely a lot better than I was even a couple of weeks ago. So mm. for our long-term listeners, I've been, I had a bit of the flu. We, we don't believe it's the Rona because, it's, you know, we haven't really been in touch with anybody that has had. Um, and <clears throat> I've also had this weird, as Edward will know, this like um, very like allergy cough thing since like January. Um, so, so that's still somewhat around, but other than that, I'm okay. Um, I guess the back issues have come back a little bit, but I don't want to go into too much detail because I'm really sounding like an old man <laughs> every episode. Aren't we though? <laughs> yes, we are. Yeah. We are. Okay. <laughs> we're, we're literally falling apart. <laughs> All right. Okay, cool. Uh, we're going to go straight into it. Um, as always, we have our reviews and previews before we get into the expression that I dislike the most. The meat and potatoes. Of the episode. <laughs> okay, so um, beginning our preview section, I have been watching a TV show called Absentia on Amazon Prime. Now, I have to speak about this because for, for two reasons. Number one, I have mentioned before um, in a previous episode that I've been really looking for a good TV show that can kind of, not necessarily replace, but can fill the want for watching a show like Alias from way, way back in the day. You know, like a really good sort of spy drama show type thing. And so I spotted Absentia. And mm-hmm. it's it's 
allegedly about an FBI agent who goes missing for, I think it's like six years or something. And then she comes back and she's embroiled in some murder investigation where she's at the center of it. But it's, it's, it's quite, it's quite intricate in terms of how it, it goes. So we were all like, oh, cool, new show, new show. So we start watching it and I couldn't put my finger on it, right? I was like, yeah. this feels a bit weird. This feels a bit strange. But we, but we, we keep watching anyway. Um, and the main character, um, Emily, keeps having these flashbacks. And I'm like, okay, well, we're about five episodes in now. When are they going to explain what the flashbacks are about? You know? Mm. Yeah, it turns out we were watching season three. <laughs> oh, gosh, how? How do you make that mistake? So, so, so because it's on Amazon Prime, right? So the way Amazon Prime works is if, if you go to like a, a, a new show, it automatically wants to push on the latest season to you instead of, you know, looking at your watch history and determining if you've seen the show before or not. That's dumb. So it's, it is dumb. It's, it's honestly a major like design flaw. So what we did is, you know, we saw the show and then I didn't pay attention to what season that was on. So we just hit play. And we started watching it, and, and and weirdly enough, it didn't have that, you know, previously on Absentia, you know? If it had, I probably, I would have stopped and would have been like, hold on a second, we haven't seen this, you know? Yeah, yeah. But it just went in. And we're watching, and we're like, oh, um, you know, like, I, I couldn't quite place what was going on in her relationship with this this guy who is allegedly her husband. And I was like, why are they so estranged? You know, there were so many little things that didn't quite make sense. And I thought, no, you know, it's just part of the mystery. <laughs> we will eventually be told. And well, then, lo and behold, I found out it was, we were five episodes into season three. <laughs> that's weird. Um, also, though, <laughs> while you're speaking, I have been reading up a bit. I yeah. know why it doesn't have a previously on. Why? Because it wasn't on Amazon before season three. It was on Sony AXN. Oh, well, you know, that would explain why they pushed season three over seasons one and two. Exactly, like how Netflix oh, did. Um, it's a bugger up, though. Designated Anyway, l- long, long story short, we obviously went back and we actually watched season one. <laughs> and, and how was Let me tell experience? you, it makes, a, it makes season three make a lot more sense. Okay, <laughs> that, it would do that, <laughs> I suppose. Um, so, I mean, I know this is technically a preview, but I, I guess mm. I can give a short review of season one since we're here now and we're talking about it. Um, it's, it's a decent show. Mm. I wouldn't say it's one of the, the best shows out there, just purely because writers need to be very careful in terms of making their top build cast unlikable. So, like, Emily, the main character, is great. You know, she's awesome. Yeah. We, we dig her, right? But the people around her are consistently over-emotional. And they keep reacting in, like... Like, like just a quick example. In the first season, um, her husband is an FBI agent. Just like, she's an FBI agent, right? But then he, like, devolves into this mess later on. And I'm like... How does he have the psychological and emotional capacity to be an FBI agent if he can't even deal with this one issue? Mm. I'm not. Gonna, I don't want to say what it is because it will spoil, you know, what's going on. But yeah. anyway, it's it's little things like that. But you're a bit like that's unrealistic. You're you're you know you're you're messing up a fairly awesomely realistic show. Yeah. You know. Anyway, it's it's a small thing. It's obviously it's a, a seven at best. Um, we're curious to see where season two goes, given how we really know what happens in season three. <laughs> Now it's, you're basically watching the prequel now. 
As a- it's so bad because like one of the, like we already know one of the characters is dead from season three, so now we have to watch them. You're like, in no, season two. my baby's gonna die. <laughs> uh, okay. <clears throat> Uh, next up, uh, Edward is going to be reviewing uh, two titles going forward. Ed? Um, Battletoads and Tony Hawk, respectively. So I've yes. already been playing Tony Hawk, to be fair. Um, we we got... Just the demo, though. Yeah, we, we got um, a little bit of a, uh, earlier access to the, to <laughs> the demo. Just, tell, just be honest, yeah. Like, and we, received, we received an email and they were like, do you want code to access the demo? And we're like, what? Why that should be free? Yeah, like, why number one, it do we should need be free. Preview code for a demo. Um, regardless, <laughs> um, pre-orders already have access to the demo way before. Yeah. Um, I've learned, but the demo is only a two-minute long demo. It's literally okay, but that's ridiculous. Yeah, come on. Yeah, it is what it is. So y- you start Not the game. Not is what it is. Like, and I mean, you that's play, ridiculous. And two minutes what later, you're point? done playing. <laughs> I mean, I mean, even with um, the Avengers beta, right? Mm-hmm. Which I've played uh, two weekends in a row now. Yeah. Uh, no, so one weekend in a row. This will be the second weekend because it's uh, open beta this week. So oh yeah, and Xbox. Play. That's why. Yeah, and Xbox, of course. Um, and it's actually really good. They give you, I think it's the first three or four campaign missions, and then they give you like five or six multiplayer missions. Like it's a genuine, like proper feel for the game. You know, that's that's how, how are you like, how are you supposed to know what Tony Hawk is like with two minutes? The thing is, I guess they're going back to the original game where the first mission is basically just the warehouse that you get in the demo. Um, <laughs> but it's also two minutes. All sessions are two minutes un- unless you do the unlimited time one. Um, so but but you can't, though, not in the demo. No, in the demo, it's literally they throw you into the game. You click no. on start and it's two minutes done deal. And yeah, I don't know. I've played that like four times now and I'm already over it. <laughs> you, you see exactly. Like, so. like it's like a bit of a detrimental effect, I think. Mm. Because it's so short, you don't have enough of a taste and you're kind of like, do you really want to go back for another short taste? Exactly. So, it, and it's yeah. just the same. Uh, I, I've been Silly. trying to unlock Silly. some stuff about the warehouse because it's all maps are dynamic and unlockable. But it's just, oh. you just don't get enough time. Um, yeah. And then Battletoads, the other game I've been, well, uh, I will be reviewing. Uh, I haven't really played that one yet. It's being forced to review. <laughs> <laughs> I, I haven't really played much of it yet. Um, so I can't really say much except that it looks quite good. Um, I'm not a fan of that kind of art style, the new, like, well, post 2020. I, mean, I, mean, I remember you, you actually wrote a pretty decent article yeah. about the differences, hey? Exactly. So we'll actually link to that so you can read it so you know what Edward's talking exactly. about. Exactly. So, so so the art style is super different. Um, it, it's changed from like a 70s, 80s cartoon style to a to something you'd see on Nickelodeon today. And I don't like that don't at all. Don't you think it's kind of similar to what they did with Ninja Turtles? Um, I guess. Uh, I don't watch Ninja hey, Turtles, that, like, so I don't that, know. Like, old 80s look and then the new one is like so smooth yes the the smoothness is fine it's just the weird super cutesy style that gets to me (laughs) oh oh i don't even want to talk about cute right now because there's this actual controversy happening right now with netflix and cuties this new show what uh yeah yeah okay so okay i will since we're talking since it's here and it's on the mind now (laughs) please pull that um they've been getting a lot of and rightfully so um, sort of hate online because 
there's this new show called Cuties. Now, nobody knows what it's about, really, but I did find out more information about it. And essentially, it's these prepubescent young girls who are being sexually exploited. And the cover is like six of these young girls in skimpy outfits, all posing. And everybody's like, how dare you, Netflix, use such young people, young women, in such a sexually explicit way to advertise this, But what I've now learned is a documentary. Oh, okay. I was about, about twerking. To ask, like, what? Oh, about twerking. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> Never mind. Okay, so, okay. <laughs> so, the, <laughs> the, the, way, the way that it's selling this, the way that Netflix is currently marketing yeah. is it looks like a reality show with like under 12s um, and a twerking contest. So I've done a little bit more reading into it and it actually turns out that it's a, um, it's either French or Spanish and it's actually a documentary about how young women are sexually exploited from a very young age. Okay. It's actually, yeah. So, so documentary wise, like I've, I've seen the, the original cover for it which actually shows that it's like an art house documentary and it, it has it's actually award-winning documentary. But then you look at Netflix's cover and you're like, that's terrible. Mm. You know, they're, they're literally, Netflix has taken what the documentary is about or what the documentary is trying to bring light to and have made a cover about that. Does that make sense? Okay. So, so it's a very good controversial marketing tactic, but I don't appreciate yeah. it. Many people haven't appreciated it either. You know, it's, it's, it's one thing to, to, um, you know, advertise this documentary about sexual exploitation in younger women, but then to actually create a poster mm. that showcases that, meaning that if there are pedophiles out there that look at that and enjoy it, do, do you get what, yeah, I'm, what I'm saying here? Like it's a, a, bit it's, it's, a, it's a line that they've crossed, yeah. you know? Uh, anyway, so I, I digress. Uh, <laughs> so the, <laughs> those are our previews yeah. for... <laughs> for the week ahead. Um, we also had some reviews. Mm. Um, as most of you know, Edward spoke about Mortal Shell last week. So he'll give you guys a um, more of a in-depth sort of understanding of what the game is like, given how he's finally finished reviewing yeah, it. Yeah. Um, I love the game, in short. Um, it's <laughs> We know. <laughs> uh, okay, so, so, so I am kind of biased towards Souls-like games. I do like them a lot. But Mortal Shell honestly, truly uh, blew me away. It is essentially what what Gears Tactics is to ESCOM. Um, you know, I love that analogy so much. Mm -hmm. It was one of my favorite parts of your review. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's it's just it takes the formula, the the standard Souls like formula, and just evolves it into something new that sets the bar for at least in my opinion for future souls like games it's not perfect yes, it's not yes. a masterpiece by any degree but it's definitely one of the best souls likes i've ever played well well this was the thing so you you mentioned how it actually has problems yeah like you, like you, you actually um you referenced it to bloodborne right how it's not perfect in that sense yeah. but how um, because of those imperfections, it makes it feel like the original. Exactly. Which is important because so many of the newer games don't. Exactly. Um, it literally, yeah. it, it feels closer to Dark Souls 1, the original Dark Souls, than any other From Software game, that's the developers of Dark Souls, ever felt afterwards. And I love that. You see, yeah, that's brilliant because, you know, so often, and we've spoken about sequels and, and stuff in the past, 
you know, so often they, you know, sequels or, or even sometimes prequels when they're made after the originals never live up to the original. Mm. So the fact that this game sort of is almost like a spiritual true successor to the original is great. Yeah, it almost feels like that. So, yeah, it's, it's yeah, a great game. That's awesome. I know you've okay, been playing awesome. Microsoft Flight Simulator, oh. though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Okay, look, before I get to that, I just want to mention that um, I also finished, well, not finished, but I played a bit of Burnout Paradise Remastered on the well, Switch. Well, yes, there's that. Uh, just a really brief, quick one. It's, it's a good game. I mean, the game is what? It's more than 10 years old. It's like a 12-year-old mm-hmm. game. Uh, it's one of the better races on the Switch. But let's be real here. If you already own Burnout on another platform, don't even bother with the mm-hmm. Switch one because the Switch one is overpriced. It's like a $50 game when it should be 10 15 at that's the most. ridiculous. That's basically what yeah, Sony did for all the <laughs> mobile Final Fantasy games. Not just the mobile Not Final Sony Fantasy Square. games. Come now. We've, we've, uh, well, okay. Well, I'm glad you said Sony anyway, because please, I need to be on this track. <laughs> okay. okay. So, <laughs> I mean, we, we've mentioned before how like, you know, Death Stranding is on PC now. Horizon Zero Dawn is on PC now. But, you know, they don't have anything like Game Pass. So if you want those PC ports, you got to shell out more money. Mm-hmm. Mm, more money more that, the, the, problems the, more problems <laughs> <Yeah>. okay <laughs> that that's all we we're gonna say about that so before we digress too much you know it's really expensive for for what it is you know it's 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 a great port it runs at 60 frames per second most of the time but visuals are are, are really um they had to be dropped quite a bit for the switch hardware mm. um and i just think it's it's too expensive given how old the game is and um you know just you know it's old gameplay mechanics you know there's like irritating things like you can't set a waypoint and you can't fast travel mm. you know things that we're so used to today that you know in this remastered version they didn't include anyway um what i really want to speak about though and my review my written review is still coming is microsoft flight simulator 2020 it is superb it, it's definitely <laughs> okay. pretty it is it is groundbreaking. Um, I haven't officially given my score publicly, but I won't hesitate to say it on the podcast. It is above 90%. Um, it's not perfect by any means. And this is mostly down to some pretty dodgy optimization and a very poor um, installation process. But other than that, oh my gosh, this is one of the most incredible technical accomplishments I have ever seen in a video game. I mean, just to really put it in perspective, the entire world is rendered in the title. And the reason, the way they were able to accomplish this is they use streaming technology whereby the game actively pulls in data from big maps. Mm-hmm. It's over two petabytes of data. And it's it's just phenomenal. Everything is simulated. The weather, the clouds, it's it's such a gorgeous looking game. I even found my house. If you guys want to <laughs> check it, check me out on Twitter. I posted um, some screen grabs <laughs> because obviously, are you even playing Microsoft Flight Simulator if you're not trying to look for your house? Anyway, um, it's I can't I can't speak enough about how good the game is. I mean, I'm not much of a simulation fan, and by that I mean I don't do like you know Gran Turismo or like motoring things. Um, I am more like simulation as in, you know, like the Sims, you know, stuff like Mm. that. So, um, and I really enjoyed it. I mean, it's, it's, it's got a really cool easy mode. 
as well as a very difficult real mode. Like the real mode is like if you're a pilot, you can actually do legitimately everything that you could do in a real See, that's airplane, what, whether it's a, a Boeing or something. That's smaller. what I love. Like I know the the professionals have been using Microsoft Flight Simulator and stuff like Gran Turismo for for decades now to to basically yeah. to study, and this just obviously will bring that into the new era. So it's just well, well, this is what blew my mind. I mean, I'm talking about you know. If I mean, I obviously flew a seven four seven because that's one of my favorite my favorite Boeing's. Okay, I didn't successfully land, but hey, I tried it anyway. <laughs> um, and the fact that every single button is not only rendered in the cockpit, but every single one can be used, mm. it just it it blew my mind. Now, of course, that's only if you play on like realistic mode, which I didn't because I'm a total noob and I don't know how to fly airplanes. Um, but I could honestly really imagine that. If flight schools took some, the Microsoft Flight Simulator and put it in one of those, you know, those actual training mm-hmm. sims, um, you know, where, where it looks like the actual cockpit of a plane, I could honestly imagine people training yeah. that way. Genuinely. It is just, it's it's a phenomenal achievement and um, people are calling it the crisis for the next generation. You know, the crisis cool. game because it's just so resource oh. intensive. I mean, I, I had to play on my MacBook. <laughs> Because I don't have a dedicated Windows PC. Uh, and I had a lot of like issues in that mm-hmm. regard. But I saw people online with like Core i9s and NVIDIA 2080 Ti's graphics cards who can't even run it at 4K. So um, um, it's, on it's that intense. Note, uh, do you know what the requirement is for for the streaming aspect, for the, for the bandwidth aspect? Oh, that's actually interesting. Um, I'm not too sure, but I think it's at least between 5 and 10 okay, megabits a cool. second. So, the, the, look, the game does do a 100 gig preload yeah. before you actually can even you can even play. And that kind of gives you, like, the base textures for mm. the planet, really. So, the, the streaming in of data is more for higher resolution oh, assets. Okay. So, you can actually play the game offline. You don't even need to be connected, which is really great. It just means that you don't benefit from things like real-time weather and real-time um, air traffic, yeah. you know, things like that. That's that's Things cool. Like that, yeah. Look, look, it's phenomenal. If you like simulations, I highly, highly recommend it. Yeah. Honestly, it's even as somebody who's not a simulation fan like myself, I actually ended up really enjoying it more than I thought that I would. Um, and it works phenomenally well with an Xbox controller as well, even though it's on PC. That's cool. Uh, <laughs> I guess <laughs> front flight simulator to being a druggie for superpowers. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what what happened in that guy's life? Oh man. So I watched uh, Project Power last week, the latest uh, what superhero film on Netflix. What a disappointment, honestly speaking. So, uh, I, you know, I'm a fan of all superhero stuff, as yeah. you are, Edward. And, you know, we've spoken often about things like, you know, The Boys and DC Universe and Marvel and so on and so forth. Project Power is super disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> in my opinion, well, in my opinion. Basically, I mean, the, I, the just of it is that it feels like they stole part of the narrative of the boys. There's a very similar narrative element there where it's all about how there's this massive corporation and they're, um, you know, trying to develop a super serum and now they're testing on the populace. You know, it's, it's, it's something we've all seen mm-hmm. before. And, you know, that's not normally a bad thing. But the film is just so generic, you yeah. know? 
it has the the typical young person who's embroiled in something they shouldn't be and then there's the antagonist who ends up being a protagonist and then there's the misguided um sidekick who's more of a protagonist than the protagonist is then of course there's the generic you know overarching evil company you, yeah, you know what i mean it's right all there's the nothing cliches yes it's, it's so mm. cliche and all the those stereotypes no look there's more to it than that but i feel like i've given this enough airtime <laughs> that's how i feel about <laughs> the, the movie <laughs> even even the visual effects were lame i mean like this is this is one piece and i don't know the actor's name uh, but he was also acted in westworld where he kind of takes so so basically it's like limitless anybody who's watched the movie limitless or the tv show will know the premise you know there's a pull you pop it in limitless you become super intelligent in power you yeah. you get a power now you don't know what the power is it's totally random it might even kill you whereby you explode it's stupid anyway um so like there's this piece where like half of him turns into the hulk and the other half of him is normal okay but man was that bad cgi that sounds like <laughs> that emma Shyamalan movie um <laughs> oh as um Split. No, no, Isn't not that, that, that one. one? Um, Lady oh, in the one? Water, oh. I think, where where the one guy oh. only exercises <laughs> his right side. <laughs> anyway, there's a lot of other things in it, like like you, I can sort of tell where they wanted to go. Like they wanted to tell the story of you know underprivilege and blah blah blah. But I think they just did a, a, a bad job in that regard as well. But worse still, worse still was just the cinematography. So. You know, Edward, I, I love yeah. good cinematography. You know, if if a movie has a bad narrative, I can even get by if it's mm. shot beautifully. Uh, I spoke about devs a couple of episodes back. That's one of the examples that I can think of. Like, it's it's somewhat cliched, but man, does it have beautiful audio and, and visuals. Even Power, Project Power doesn't have that. It's mm. just a mess. You know, one minute, there's a super cool comic book, like, close-up of this person's face in the mask in uh, while they're on a motorcycle, and the next minute, it's like CSI. And you're like, what's happening? Yeah, I don't sounds, know what's going on here. It, this doesn't... it sounds like a hodgepodge <laughs> of just ideas. Yeah. It, it's, yeah. it's a mess. It's a mess. Um, it, it wasn't consistent. And like I said, it was very generic and it was so predictable. Like you knew what was going to happen mm. before it even happened. Um, yeah. So speaking of that, um, you, there was something you found out. And that's actually going to lead us into our main content section. So... You found out something about yes. the writer so, of Project Power? So it turns out the sole <laughs> writer of Project Power is the co-writer on the Batman. The, oh. the Robert Pattinson Batman. You know, I, I was so looking forward to that movie. And now that you've told me this, and now that I've watched Project Power, yeah, <laughs> I am deeply concerned. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's just DC in a nutshell, I guess. Oh, now this is going to lead us into the content because um, something I found uh, over the last week, it's called Cinema Atlas. And it's this super, super, super cool website where you can put in an actor, a film, um, or or anyone who's worked on the film, whether it's voice artist, Foley, etc, etc. And what it'll do, it will create a mind map of things that are related to that film or that person or things that they've worked on. So... Good example would be like let's say you put in the um, Batman. Uh, well, okay, yes, yes. Like, like, let's use that. Like one. we I put f- in the Batman, and then we put in the the writer yes. from Project Power, and it'll tell you if there's a relation, and if there is, what else this this writer mm-hmm. has done. So, it's you know, and 
That's actually how we find it's out. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not amazing. No, no, I'm very disappointed the, the, now. This <laughs> cinema atlas is amazing. Um, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Uh, like, uh, in the show notes, Look, you included yeah. the link to the David Benioff and the Troy cinema atlas. I was just going to say, because y'all know my dislike <laughs> for season eight of Game of Thrones. Yep. Okay. For those two bitches yep. that destroyed it. So, naturally, I was curious to know what else they've done. And lo and behold, David Benioff is also one of the main writers for Troy, which was visually a spectacle, but had one of the worst narratives in I can hear your disappointment through this mic. (laughs) (laughs) No, but it's just like, look, look, Cinema Atlas is amazing. It's probably one of the most incredible tools I've seen online. It kind of takes... IMDB and puts it on visual steroids, you know, because it's such a it's such a wonderful yes. look. So you can you can link up to I think it's sixteen orbs at a maximum, and and by that we mean like let's say you put in Game of Thrones and you put in David Benioff, then it'll start expanding it, and you can add more and more and more and see how mm. they're interrelated. And if anyone recalls from our previous DC discussion from last week, how a writer who shall not be named okay, is part of almost, it's like 90% of the DC universe, we will link below and you can tell, you can have a good look and see why the DC universe is in the state that it's in. <laughs> yeah. It's actually quite evident <laughs> if you put all the orbs in place and yeah. Well, do you know that I found out a bit more about them, hey? What? <clears throat> I found out that the reason why they keep getting work is because they don't put up a fuss when studio executives ask wow it also explains why so they're just yes so crap they just do whatever pretty much yeah pretty much but but the thing is though the thing is though one of the bigger ones his mm-hmm. name is alex kurtzman um he's been in charge of a lot of like really crappy blockbusters but they're blockbusters that bring in billions of dollars so He's technically a yes man, and apparently he's very easy to work with, and that's why he's consistently that's employed. Actually, I mean, you gotta have some bad backbone. No, <laughs> this is that's boomer logic, Edward. Gosh. Okay, because it's all about returns. It's not about about what passion. people actually feel yeah. or think. Wow. However, not everyone is like that. So John Favreau mm. um, is exceptional. If if you guys don't know who he is, he did the. Okay, the recent Lion King movie, which I don't want to speak about because I haven't seen it's it yet. Good. Apparently, it's crap. But but other than that mistake, um, he's done all of the Iron Man. He's been involved in Marvel in in, in almost all of their productions, and most recently, yeah. The Mandalorian. And what's fascinating with him is that he has come on the record and he's actually said that you know producing something that has a great fandom, how important it is to do so. In, in two, with, with two things in mind. Number one, mm-hmm. looking after the audience. The audience who's been there for goodness knows how long. Making sure that they are happy with what is produced. And number two, make it accessible yep. enough for new people. So, you know, his logic is sound. You know, you want to attract new people, but at the same time, you want to make sure that people who have beloved the franchise for goodness knows how long exactly. are happy to watch. And it's one of the few reasons why The Mandalorian is so good. Because it literally does that. It brings new people in while long-term fans are satisfied with what's being produced. Now, the reason why we're speaking about this now is because 
we actually have quite a bit of Disney content. Um, I found out that the Mandalorian doesn't use green it's screens. It's actually amazing. Yes. Or, or, or rather, it's not that they, it doesn't use green screens. It's that they have replaced most green screen usage with yeah. LEDs. Uh, uh, and it's just... Uh, it, it's <laughs> yeah, yeah, super it's great. It's phenomenal. It's, um, it's crazy. What I find most <laughs> amazing about this is that the LEDs are synced to the cameras. So... Or rather, yes. this, this wall of LEDs is synced to the camera. So whenever they move a camera around, the the actual surrounding changes in uh, to make the actor in the middle of the of the room still look like he's in the middle of the room. Um, yeah, correct. So it uses yes. a parallax effect, whereby um, actually, just to give you a little bit more context. So these. LED rooms were innovated specifically for the Mandalorian. And they're basically giant circles whereby the entire circle is made up of hundreds of LED panels, including LED lights on the roof. And these are all connected to a series of computers all running, and this is the mind-blowing aspect, Unreal Engine. And so what happens is, is that in real time, in real time, they can shoot an actor in the middle of a scene while the the actor is immersed in the scene. And and what we mean by that is unlike traditional green screen where actors have to imagine what's going on around them, actors who who are embroiled in this new LED tech can actually look around and see what they're meant to be seeing. In addition to that, um, the cool thing with this tech is that it creates realistic uh, refractions and reflections on whatever a character is wearing. So, in The Mandalorian, for example, there's a piece where he has mm-hmm. armor that is highly reflective. And so what hap- why this LED process was so convenient and actually more cost-effective in the long run was because they didn't have to, in post-production, cater for green screen spill. And that is when, you know, li- a light from a green screen bounces off a character's armor or look. You know, that didn't have That's to be cool. re-rendered in. Everything was just rendered realistically. And then also the lighting. Because normally... Lighting also has to be done in post-production or they have to hold up like these special boards and things to light the character. But with this new LED stage, the character is actually lit the way they would normally or the way they're meant to be lit cool. in that scene. It's truly, it's truly incredible. And again, like I said, it uses Unreal technology. And the best part about that is that everything can be done in real time. So let's assume they're shooting a scene and there's some mountain and they're like, no, the mountain should be moved. One of the artists literally just goes to the computer and moves the mountain, and boom, they can shoot the scene. That's and Bob's your uncle. It's it's, it's super amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> um, we'll link to the full video in uh, the show notes. I implore you to go and watch it because it's probably one of the most fascinating things I've seen in a long time, and it proves that Disney is really invested in improving cinema technologies. But now, of course, this is not just to help with filming, it's also a cost-cutting measure. So although these were expensive to set up, they were much cheaper in the long run because they didn't need to travel to locations. Um, you know, there's there's less post-production that needs to be done. And, and so on and so forth. And that's how they're getting all the big names for Mandalorian Season 2, I guess. 
<laughs> well, I mean, if they're all living yeah. in Hollywood, you know, and it, it, you don't have to fly them out and you don't have to take them, you know, into ho- hotels, you know what I mean? So there's so many like benefits to doing all of this in one location. Oh, it's just, mm-hmm. it's in- you know what it makes me think of in many ways? How innovative the original yeah. Matrix was. Remember when they, they shot the, the, the slow down scenes? It's kind of like yeah. that, but like so next level. You know, and, and I also love how the actors can see what they're mm. acting within. You know, it's not that they have to use their imagination. So it should technically in many ways give yes, better performances. Yes, it should help with the, the immersion, modern. especially for the actors, yeah. Now, and speaking Disney. of immersion and performances, <laughs> <laughs> there was something else and it actually relates to one of Edward's favorite franchises. One of my favorite, favorite franchises. No. You don't know, do you? <laughs> Okay, okay. So, um, something else that I came across. So, in addition to this phenomenal new way of recording TV series and movies, Disney is investing heavily in robotics. Now, a couple of episodes back, we actually mentioned uh, Disney and deepfakes and how they've developed this phenomenal new tech, which far surpasses what what is even possible with deepfakes from a megapixel perspective, which means that they can now use Mm -hmm. it for actual movies. Well, they are also investing in lifelike yeah. robots. So it's scary <laughs> because, I mean, before you know it, they're going to have robots in scenes with deep faked faces and voices. So you're not even going to know if that's your actor that's or not. That's weird. Uh, long story short, they're developing these really cool um, stunt robots for an all new Spider-Man attraction. And oh, the, the, yes, exactly. Your favorite. Your, your oh, favorite <laughs> um, it's 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 really like the way that they move. So you you've you've seen an acrobat move, yes. right? The way that they move in the air and stuff like that. So Disney has created lifelike humanoid robots that, when thrust into the air, mm-hmm. perform like acrobats. Wow! And what this is to do is so that when they launch their new spider-man show they can do tricks that a human wouldn't have to do because it's dangerous but how would they disguise the <laughs> robots as people so so they, they, they aren't quite there just yet so the the robots are still looking quite robotic yeah if that makes any sense um but really given the shape like if, if you watch these snippets yeah. You will be hard-pressed to believe that they're not human. See that, and that, to me, is what's most scary. See, I've seen this clip uh, of the robot swinging around, looking like acrobats, which yes. is already phenomenal. I just don't know how they'll convince children that that's actually Spider-Man swinging around. Well, well, well it's Spider-Man. Just remember, you can't see Spider-Man's face. So throw on a suit okay. and watch the suit. You, you get that, what I'm saying? Yeah, watch the suit okay, perform. Okay. You won't know any better. You'll be like, oh my God, it's Spider-Man. Yeah, like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> Spider-Man Look, Mark Four. I, I I watched um Avengers Live uh when was it? Was it earlier this year? Yes, it or was end of last year. It was earlier this year. And man, that was bad. <laughs> if I have to be children. brutally honest, sure, it was for kids. Fine, fine. But if they had this tech, I think I would change my mind because this would give it instant believability versus these guys that come up and down with um Cables, yeah, <laughs> which you can clearly see. Yeah, like sometimes <laughs> they have to balance, and they do a bad or, job at that. Or no, look, they they did use practical effects. So like there were some bits where you could literally see that that was like a mannequin in a suit. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we, we're not trying to rag on that. But now, um, 
speaking about all of this uh, and how scary this is, you you actually mentioned something to me earlier this week when I told you about how scary I thought Disney was becoming. Oh, yes. Uh, the, the thing is, when you actually do a bit of digging, you're going to find a lot of scary stories about Disney, especially their cruises. Um, it's... Okay, so so for instance, there's this one case. I forgot the the victim's name, but she was. That's all right. Just give us an overview. She she, she was um, a worker on one of the big Disney cruises, and it was actually a horror show for her. Um, she she ended up not liking the job <laughs> a lot because the managers are all oh, shame. like crazy, and um, they film you everywhere you go except for the bathroom. That you literally don't have any privacy on these Disney cruises if you're a staff Look, member. Uh, no, I, I believe that. So just just to interject quickly, uh-huh. I actually have a, a cousin who works on the ships. Yeah, um, he does security, and he's actually told me about how intense it actually is. Yeah, um, yeah. But it has to be though. with that I mean, in mind. Um, they film everything, so this person disappeared, literally just disappeared off of the face of this the boom, earth. Boom. Um, during one of the cruises. I think it was... I don't know. What, I think it was 2011. Um, but but did they, though, Edward? I mean, I'm pretty sure you could use some deep vacant robots to make them come back to life again. <laughs> uh, maybe they can now. Uh, not in 2011, though. So I, I'm sorry. I don't mean to make light of the situation, but like that's what that's what comes to mind. Yeah. Like you're telling me about these people that are dying and disappearing in Disney cruises, and I'm like, Did we're gonna get Westworld. Like this shit video over here. Otherwise, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so so she, she disappeared, and turns out they never found any footage of her leaving the ship. They never found any footage of her doing anything um, that would make her disappear, like go overboard. And wow. they ne- up till now, they never, no one came forward and said, oh, I killed her or we disposed of the body or whatever. But, um, but I mean, I'm sure there's more to the mystery than that. Maybe she just, you know, I don't know, fell off. The, um, <laughs> but, then, but then again, I suppose all the video evidence would show otherwise, exactly. right? Because everything's recorded. Um, oh, man. Wow. Yeah, it, right. it, it's a whole big story. And since, since... But just one person or multiple people? Now, since this, um, more and more people have come out about relatives going missing while they're on the crew. <gasps> and no. uh, and it's all reported. Um, I'm not allowed to... We're not allowed to say this with fact because obviously it's still ongoing cases. But um, wow. yeah, Disney is actually sh- shelving out a lot of money to, to okay, all these cool. families. Okay, w- we need to look into this more because this is this is very interesting. Yeah. Or rather, we'll wait for it, something to break and then we'll speak about it more. Because wow, yeah, yeah, it's jeez, yeah, it's it's quite. But we will link to what Edward is talking about. We will, we <laughs> and, will. I'm sorry, I don't mean to. This is this is this is crazy. Yeah. And and this almost relates to what we're going to talk about next. You know that, right? Mm-hmm. So you're talking about people disappearing, yeah. and I'm automatically thinking to myself, did they survive? Yeah. And then that leads us into our next topic, which is survivorship bias. <laughs> it, it's quite interesting. Because um, I'm, I'm just thinking, like, like you're talking about these people that disappear, yeah. right? So, so then you have to wonder, so they disappeared. So who's really at fault? Like, like, what, yeah. like what processes could be changed to make things exactly. better? But then you're looking at it wrong. Yeah. 
because that's clearly survivorship bias. <laughs> Evidently. <laughs> um, it's quite fascinating, actually, because I obviously you know of um, survival guilt and all that stuff, but I've never heard of survivorship bias before. Uh, so, wait, wait. Survivor guilt is where you you feel guilty for surviving when you feel like you should have died, yes, right? Yes. Um, okay. So, yeah. Okay. This is this is this is definitely different. Yeah. Um, it's not as macabre. Um, to, to 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 cut a long story short, it's basically it's it's a a logical error in thinking. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds that sounds really really strange. I can give you an example. Like one of the the best examples of it is how. Um, in I think it was World War Two or World War One, um, the the planes that that survived, the, you know, being destroyed. In other words, they they came back and they were like totally shot up, um, mm-hmm. you know, on the wings and the tail and stuff. They the, the, those planes survived. So then the yeah. U.S. military was like, okay, so what we need to do is we need to put more armor on where the planes were shot. Yeah. Okay. But but th- but that is survivorship bias because yes. you're looking at how the plane survived instead of looking at those that didn't survive. Exactly. So I- in, in other words, w- w- with this with this example in mind, um, and this actually leads to um, one of the, the the people who did research into it. What you actually were were supposed to do is put extra armor on the pieces that didn't get shot. Yep. Versus the pieces that did get shot. Because those are the planes that didn't come back. Yes. Which yeah. Yeah, meaning that, that yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's a really cool thing. Basically, it's how, um, you know, people will look at things and then they'll, they'll, you get some sort of a conclusion, but it turns, it turns out to be a false conclusion. Mm. Um, you know, a false belief that the successes of a group or, or, you know, have a special property rather than it just being coincidence. So, and another more, I guess, maybe a bit easier to understand example, um, if we could just throw it out there, it just has to do with students, right? So, like, let's say you look at um, five students and they're all applying to um, a university. And of those five, three of them come from a really good uh, high school. You would then assume, oh, those three that made it, that means that that high school really knows how to teach. Yeah. You know, they've done a fantastic job. That is survivorship bias because you're biasing that high school on those students for having made it to the university. But it's a flawed, it's a flawed conclusion because exactly. unless you've looked at every single one of the students and all of their results, there's no real way to tell if that's true or not. Because it could be that every single one of the students did really well. It's just that only three from that three school applied to that university. Yeah, exactly. You know what it, I mean? could have, it could have been 300 children that didn't make it. Yeah. So, it could be anything, anything. Yeah. Um, well, what's really cool, or rather what's very interesting about this whole survivorship bias thing, is that it can actually be applied to many, many things. Um, I mean, I'm talking about business, finance, economics, history, um, manufacturing, architecture, cats. Cats? <laughs> <laughs> I, have to, I have to talk about that. So we, we've, we've also spoken about the military example already, right? Which yeah. has to do with, um, you know, the, the aeroplane and that. But... The cat one is a very similar one. It's whereby, you know, everybody knows, or everybody thinks, you know, you're told that if a cat is dropped off a roof, chances are good it will survive. Yes. Right? So That's... apparently, um, researchers have looked into it, and there's, that, that is a survivorship bias conclusion. Because... Because... because a sen- yeah, no, it's just... 
<laughs> because to, in, a, in a way, they recorded cats who survived and were taken to the vet. But mm. what about those that died? Mm. Do you see what I mean? <laughs> those that never came back. <laughs> anyway, it's it's just, it's a, it's a very interesting you know thing to 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 consider and how you know it's one of the, the most basic logical errors you know that that exists in you know in humans you know when we when we think about things and how easy it is for us to to gravitate towards what we think is obvious when it's not. Yeah, you know, obvious answers aren't always the best answers. Exactly, exactly. For for any other you know term. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the, the, speaking of, of airplanes and world war, like we, I mentioned just now because with the airplane and that, mm-hmm. I got to ask you something, Edward, and yeah. also the people who are listening in terms of soft drinks, what is one of your favorites? Favorite soft drink? Oh, it's monster, isn't it? <laughs> I, I was about to ask you if that counts as a soft drink. <laughs> well, it technically does, but let, let, let's, uh, let's go with only... Oh, but I mean, isn't Monster owned by Coca-Cola? Because I was just going to say only from Coca-Cola. No, Monster is not as far as I know. But oh, I, okay, I well. do like a good can of Coke, though. Okay, well, this one has to do with Fanta. Everyone's okay. favorite orange drink. Yes. At least orange in our country. And I have heard that in some other countries it is a bit different. And some other countries don't even have Fanta. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I, I have to bring this up because I found something fascinating about Fanta this week. Like, I just figured Fanta was this drink that... Just another one of Coca-Cola's staples, you know? Yeah. Turns out it was developed in Nazi Germany because the Germans loved it. That's... <laughs> <laughs> okay 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 um, okay there's a little a little, a little bit more to it than that so let me not just say okay, it cool. like that um, yeah it's a, um, it's a nazi so drink it's, it's well it's not technically a nazi drink so don't go and boycott fanta now um to, to cut a, a really long story short basically fanta was developed in world war ii so technically developed in nazi germany yeah but it was developed under the coca-cola company so there was this um, German-born guy by the name of Max Kite, mm-hmm. um, which I would have actually read as Max Keith, but I would as, uh, apparently as well. it's pronounced Kite. Yeah, yeah. Um, He was actually in control of the German subsidiary of Coca-Cola. Uh, he's, he was actually interestingly described as a tall, intimidating man who possessed a little whisk broom mustache. Uh, if that sounds familiar, you know why. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> apparently he was charming um, and quick-tempered but he was wholly dedicated to coca-cola and so what happened is obviously you know world war one world war two uh germany was in dire straits because of you know um hitler and the the crazed fanatic that he was and all of the atrocities he committed um despite that there were still a lot of companies that actually profited from what happened in world war one and world war two and coca-cola is one of those companies now, in this sense, um, what this Max Kite did is he looked at what was available, um, you know, given the rations of the time and the products and so on and so forth. And he, he realized that the outskirts of the cities were still booming industrially, you know, versus the, the, inner, the inner cities, which were damaged from the war and bombs and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And so he looked into what could be used from the rations and the limitations um, of that time to create a drink that's cool and so by using leftovers of foods mostly um, fruit shavings apple fibers and pulp beet sugar whey um and and even some 
you know, away from cheese, not just milk, but cheese as well. He managed to put it all together and create what is now known as Fanta. That's cool. <laughs> That's actually quite fascinating. Um, yes. Hey, I mean, how? how so, so, but just a, one more, one more fact before before we we can discuss this a little bit more. Um, because they use their imagination, yeah, to put this thing together. They then called it Fanta, which is the German word for fantasy, like a fantasy drink. Okay. Hey, isn't that incredible? Because you know it was just this thing that they they threw together, and it turned out to be magic. That's and delicious. <laughs> uh, I'm just wondering though, did it taste the same back then that that it does now? That's a great question. So you know, I haven't had a soft drink in in years, and right? I don't. I just uh, <laughs> and you, you don't drink Fanta exactly. Um, I think it's atrocious. I, honestly, I think so, it's changed over time. Yeah, I, I do think so because I mean, if the way that just they've described it here, how it's very like sort of appley, um, you know, with some beet sugar and uh, you know some whey protein. Yeah. I would imagine it tastes different because Fanta today, I think, is a bit orangey. Yeah. It's, Not just the it's, color, it's but citrusy. even in taste. Yeah. Yeah, it's citrusy. Well, it's citrusy. Where, whereas this, so, which is described, sounds great. <laughs> right? Like, I, I actually wonder if maybe the German one is different to the rest of the world. That's I guess, uh, you know, one day, or maybe we can import it, we can try it out. Or, or if anyone who's listening has actually tried yeah. the real German Fanta, like, let us know. Yeah, please do. I'm quite curious uh, to know if it has the original flavors or if it's been americanized like everything else like yeah <laughs> as things do go i guess but you know it, it's interesting because um it, it would imply that i mean not that they were geniuses or anything but you know it was a genius idea to do that mm. well it you worked know? out very and that's, well. that leads us to our next topic <laughs> <laughs> With- being a genius oh. uh, uh, do you think geniuses are born or made i think everyone has the potential of being smart i don't think you can just become a prodigy by just like that yeah 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 so to a degree i i i I agree with you i would imagine that you know perhaps some people genetically are more gifted than others yes you know, like, like bear in mind, we're talking about those prodigies that just pop up out of nowhere and they can like solve intense mathematical equations at like five. Exactly. You know, like that's, th- that's something else. Now, what's interesting about this and what I find interesting about your answer as well is that there is a, a gentleman by the name of Laszlo Polgar. And if I'm saying that incorrectly, I'm so sorry because he is Hungarian. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a Hungarian chess teacher and educational psychologist. And he firmly believed that geniuses are made and not born. And what is fascinating about him is that, and I guess it's somewhat unethical to a degree, is him and his wife decided to put this to the test. And in so doing, they took their two daughters and from the age of two or three, they made them play chess. Mm. And by the age of six, they made them specialize in chess. Now... It just so happened that over time, their two daughters became two of the world's greatest chess yeah. players, known as the Polgar sisters. See, uh, I'm reading the <laughs> names, and I'm I already know of Sophia. That that's the one yes. sister I acutely know of. I never knew she had siblings. Well, apparently she does, and yeah. they're all chess prodigies. Wow. And 
what's fascinating about this is that they they are these prodigies in these specific fields because their parents helped them find that they enjoyed the game wow. and then spurred that enjoyment. Now, it, it's it's an interesting thing because, and the reason why I mentioned those specific ages, as in three and six, is because apparently, according to their research and what they believed, is that if you can start teaching a child something at three mm. and then get them to specialize in what you're teaching them by the age of six, they will become geniuses in those fields. And that could be anything. It could be language. It can be, um, you know, mathematics, anything, That's cool. anything that you, you, you want to help them in. But And it's, it's even more fascinating because in addition to being, you know, I guess geniuses in these fields, they'd also help them from a cognitive thinking perspective. You know, mm. um, they weren't just good at chess. They were really good at all sorts of other, you know, problems in terms of problem That's solving cool. from, through the mind. But, but you know, you have to ask, though, um, do you help them in what they're good at or what you want them to be good at? Like we, we, you see, so, so this is the, um, where the ethical hmm. boundaries come in, yeah. you know, is it ethical to do that to your children? Now, bear in mind, it's not like they forced them to do the chess. They introduced the children to it. And if they saw the child gravitating towards wanting to play chess more, then they carried on with it. So it wasn't like they were like, oh, you've got to play chess for like six hours a day or I'm going to smack you with a stick, <laughs> you know? Like I had to it, do it, math it, it was, for like two hours a day. <laughs> no. Well, you see, well, this is the thing. We can all speak from our own experiences, yeah. you know? Um, so it wasn't like that. It was more like they, they, they fostered the inclination towards these things. Mm. And I did a little bit more reading into what the sisters actually spoke about it. And basically all of them agreed. They were just like, no, when they were young... They considered chess as toys. You know, they liked little pieces. So they were curious to know more about how the pieces move and why the pieces moved in certain ways. And, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then from that, their own curiosity helped bolster their interest in becoming better at That's it. That's cool, actually. It's really, really, really cool. Yeah, I forgot to admit, it's, it's, it's very interesting. Now, speaking of genius. Yeah. I have to say that... I feel like I'm speaking the whole time now, but... <laughs> um, we we have some other geniuses have discovered something super cool about Edward about dogs. <laughs> no, about body odor. <laughs> well, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, look, look, we we, we got to speak about yes. this. So, um, apparently, researchers have identified an enzyme that causes bo. That's actually interesting. Uh, see. These- Geniuses, genius scientists, thank you. <laughs> See, I thought BO just <laughs> happened. Like sometimes you smell, sometimes you no. don't. So yeah, well, well, so so this is the thing. This is the thing. So apparently they've been they have been doing a lot of research into this. And now I will I have to concede the fact that um, part of this research was done by Unilever, which is not exactly a great company to yes. be honest for the environment and so on and so forth. But you know they are doing this research because it's going to help their bottom line. Okay, so I've got to just get that out yeah. of the way. But essentially, they found a unique enzyme that lives on a microbe that is specific to the human armpit. That's cool. <laughs> so according to these, these um, researchers, humans actually don't smell. It's, we don't have a smell. Yeah. The smell comes from this we, 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 enzyme. 
Yes, yes. So, so these offending odors are called um, thealcohols, right? Or, or, or um, I'm assuming you pronounce it as th as a th, not a. It's either thealcohols or thealcohols. Thealcohol. Right? And um, they're basically a byproduct when these particular microbes feast on certain compounds that are excreted from the skin. Mm-hmm. Now, um, it, it's the the specific, um, I guess microbe is called the staphylococcus hominis okay <laughs> which sounds awful it sounds like a dinosaur um, it's, it's <laughs> oh oh my gosh that's so cool anyway no, no let's not go there uh and it's, it's, it's specifically an armpit dwelling species of microbe and you know what what it does is it, it, it and this is pretty gross you know it'll eat these um these these molecules and then basically vomit up the rest that it doesn't enjoy (laughs) and that's actually the smell that we that that is body odor (laughs) gosh okay so so knowing now yeah with this science now i guess they can finally develop actual roll-on that works you know but but well well yes yes but take it a step further imagine now that they've they've determined this the specific arm swelling species of microbe yeah imagine going for like or taking a pill which ensures that they don't grow on your skin so hey? you don't sp- anything anything like that so you wouldn't even need to use deodorant that, that'd be weird though imagine a world where humans are removed from their mask well i mean musk is a strong word <laughs> no well i use it as as just your general smell not bad look, look, or anything bear in mind this is not the same as pheromones uh, so it is different so this is specifically body odor you know that that smell the, smell, that the onion get, smell like if you if <laughs> okay well i guess you're not you're not wrong i mean i love onions but yeah you're, you're technically not wrong in that yeah. regard it's it, it, it's that particular pungent smell. Oh. Do you know what I mean? So it's it's not just smell in general. And although they say we don't have a particular smell, they're basically just saying that humans don't have a particular odor, like one set odor that everybody smells. Yeah, the same. okay. Do you get yeah, what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. It's more that you know these microbes are interacting, and of course, if you have different sweat, you know everybody smells different. But this is this is what it's actually caused from. Mm. Um, yeah, it's it's just it's 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 a fascinating thing because apparently, and this is something else that I learned, is apparently humans have different kinds of sweat glands. Um, we have eccrine glands which cover the body and open directly onto the skin, um, and this is this helps us specifically with cooling. So this is you know the, the, our main sweat thing. But then we also have epocrine glands, which um, these are in like hair follicles, and these are crammed in the armpits, nipples, and genitals. So. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting to note that, like, essentially the smell would come from epocrine glands instead of um, eccrine glands. That's cool. You know? That's cool. Um, yeah, look, it's, it's, it's really cool. So we'll, we'll see what happens and what comes out of this in the next couple of years going forward, because who knows? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, with your dogs barking in the background, we can now <laughs> move on to... <laughs> so, Edward, yes, Edward yes. do you know why your yes, lovely yes. dogs are barking the way that they're barking? Because I do. I, I find now. out now why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks to something you found, I actually know exactly why Tell they're us. barking. Tell us why. <laughs> or at least I think they do. Um, so, so 
you, you added this to the notes earlier this week, and and it's immediately I clicked on it because I like dogs. <laughs> Who doesn't? And hey, if you don't like dogs, Reddit stop is just being Reddit, okay. but And they go exactly yeah. other animals as like, well. Like we don't need you here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, we're just kidding. We lo- we love listening. Uh, we love you listening to us. <laughs> um, anyway, so it turns out that a thing called barrier frustration exists. Now, at at first glance or whatever, it may sound like something we all get when we're angsty young teens, but that's not it. Um, barrier frustration actually is just your dogs barking not because they want to eat the person up on the other side of the barrier, but because they want to meet them. They want to well. be friendly with them. Or they want to say <laughs> hi to them. Now, I don't think that's the case with my dogs. <laughs> so, look, um, what's, what's interesting with, with this kind of research, and it always fascinates me when I read about first world problems, okay? And that is because mm-hmm. a dog in a more first world country where crime isn't as much of a problem is very much a Mm. pet. You have it because it's an accessory. As awful as that might sound, it's the truth. It's your friend. It's like an extra friend. In other countries, Mm. maybe first world countries too, but more noticeably in South Africa, dogs in particular are for protection. So yes, they're pets and they're your friend and you love them and et cetera, et cetera. But they're also very much for protection. So, you know, yeah. the study is, is is slightly flawed. All right, it's, it's partially true, but it's also partially flawed. So, so yes, it, it's also, you know your dogs would possibly still have barrier frustration. You know, whereby they, yeah. they feel that they're restricted from being able to give love to somebody on the other side of the fence. But at the same time, they also are frustrated because they can't get to the other side of the fence to eat the face off. It's the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> It's still a frustration. It's still a frustration. <laughs> um, exactly. So, see, the, this post is obviously skewed a bit towards the positive side of things. Um, they're not taking into account aggressive dogs yes, at all. Yes. Um, but, like, our oh, look, look, large dogs whole are always dog trained thing, to be aggressive. That's that's another debate, though, for another day. So, it really is very much yeah. how you bring them up, to be perfectly honest. Exactly. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, yes. Okay. So... <laughs> I have two dudes, two tiny dogs, but they are very much my alarms. And at least my Yorkshire is, he's a little psychopath. He likes to attack. Yeah, but aren't all small attack. dogs, like even chihuahuas? Yeah. I mean, honestly. <laughs> chihuahuas are the worst. Um, and and obviously, the, the post goes on to, to tell you how to train your dogs not to have barrier frustration, which is just to be more open to them to allow them to go out more and such but it's it's quite interesting and it's it's fascinating that these types of posts exists and research exists so i just want it done in places like south africa you mean the, re- uh, the research yes like barrier frustration is a thing and it's good and it's positive but what what about in third world countries what about in countries which is still developing well as you mentioned Edward. About those still developing countries, may I introduce you to something called the Kuramites? (laughs) (laughs) Tell me more. (laughs) Okay, it's it's not exactly about. uh, That was actually. (laughs) It's it's not it's not technically about uh, you know developing countries and so on. 
but it, it, in many senses, it's a very interesting religion that I felt we had to speak about. And yeah. for the adept amongst you, if you've heard the tone, you know what is coming next. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, Kuramites are this very interesting religion, which really made me think of Game of Thrones. So, anyone yeah. who's watched it will remember there's a piece where Tyrion Lannister is like, um, where, are the, where are the gods of tits and wine? Okay, just to be quite blunt mm-hmm. about it. Well, ladies and gentlemen, say hello to the Kuramites. <laughs> <laughs> the religion for tits and wine. Yes, pr- um, pretty much. So, look, it, it's it's a very, very um, interesting religion to to read up on. We're really just going to just touch upon some of the points here. Um, it, it, it does go quite in depth. And, you know, they, they speak about all sorts of like prophets and people and, and how it all came into being. But long story short, it basically was an 8th century sect from Iran, of all places, which I find very, very, very interesting. And um, it's basically a religion that... Um, it's not that sex was a focal point, but it was very much a part of it. So um, mm. their doctrine basically looks into light and darkness, right? And essentially of how, um, you know, the, ver- the universe is light, of which a part of it has been affected and turned into darkness, all right? Um, mm. And, you know, with that in mind, um, they avoid bloodshed as much as possible um, with the exception of, you know, raising the banner of revolt, which, you know, happens in any society. I mean, it's happening right now, even, even current, to current day and age. Um, they yeah. also really believed a lot in... Um, you know, cleanliness and purification. Um, and this is, I find quite interesting. It's treating people with kindness and, um, you know, beneficence. Um, and with all of that in mind, one of their more, I guess, by today's standards, controversial point of reference is that they believed in free sex as long as the woman agrees, agreed to it. Um, and they were very much into the freedom of enjoying all pleasures and satisfying one's inclinations, regardless of what it might be, just as long as it doesn't cause harm. And, you know, yeah, it's really cool because, you know, they, it's an eighth century, eighth century. I mean, that's millennia ago. And they were already, you know, pushing for consent, which people today can't even do properly. Yeah, you know, and, and we need more kurumas. Yeah, yeah, in right? our lives. I, mean, I mean, think about it. It was all about consent, so it didn't matter what you were doing, as long as you didn't um, physically harm the person. It was fine, and as long as you had consent, cool. it was fine. You could do whatever you wanted, as much as you wanted. You know, yeah. Um, and and they just to elaborate a little bit more before we can we talk about it a bit. Um, you know, they also believed in reincarnation. They believed that was the only way of um, you know, there being an afterlife. You know, um. Mm-hmm. And I think that the, the biggest thing for me is how, again, I mentioned how it comes from Iran and how they actually, um, you know, how, how different this is to like the Muslim faith, for example. But yeah. they highly revered um, Abu Muslims and their imams, which I thought was really, really very interesting. But the difference, though, is that Kuramites, in addition to embracing, um, you know, sex, also found that um, wine... And alcohol was a part of their sacrament. <laughs> That's cool. Tits and wine. There we go. We found the religion for tits and wine. <laughs> now, I mean, I, I haven't looked it up too much, but I'm actually wondering if a part of this 
wasn't inspired or like if it didn't inspire um the guy who wrote game of thrones you know for that particular religion you it know might have been it's just, it actually might i just have been. find it fascinating that this kind of thing exists now of course i mean we're talking about eighth century so it's not really around anymore today um and then obviously by today's standards people would look at this and be like yeah oh, whatever they were heathens you know um yeah. but you know there's so much more to it than this i mean if you look into what the romans were like you know, they embraced sexuality a lot. As long yeah. as you were having a good time and you were, you were respectful to the people around you, it didn't matter. You know? Exactly. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting. So now, with that in mind, Edward, and I, and the, yeah. I know where this is going, I'm pretty sure we're going to have new robot-based religions in the future. <laughs> with with Xylitol as our leader. <laughs> we might have ro- uh, new robotic gods of tit and wine Ooh, in the future. Because tell us more. <laughs> Gosh, we we said that word so many times. Already. Yeah, I know. And, and you know, um, I, I must be I must be honest. I'd rather say boobs because tits seem so crass. Yeah, <laughs> like disrespectful. Boobs. You know. <laughs> yeah, boobs just sound a little bit softer. Well, we could say memories as well. But okay, no. calm your memories. <laughs> um, okay, so basically, what we're getting at is, yeah, sex robots exist. Um, <laughs> they've existed for a while now. They're taking uh, too long to get to market. <laughs> did you know that, that sex robot sales have actually skyrocketed wait, during wait. this coronavirus hold up, hold period? Hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. What? You, what, can, what, you, what? you can buy them already? Yes, you can. <laughs> where have okay, I so been? Come, where? Where's, where's I don't my know. I, I, <laughs> I think it's expensive importing, to be fair. But, okay, but yeah, a company called... Are, are they like sex dolls? Yes, they're, they're proper sex dolls. Oh, wow. Um, so a company called Real Doll is, is the leading manufacturer of these sex dolls. <gasps> We've spoken about um, them before, and, and, haven't we? Yes, we have. And well, what sets them apart from <laughs> the normal like silicone puppet you can buy is literally they are made to look human, yeah. obviously with your chosen dimension. So if you want big memories you can get big <laughs> memories um but, but they, they are made to be personable so so when you go to the real doll website you can literally customize them and you can choose the the model you want which in itself comes with its own little um yeah intelligence i guess uh, is the best word for it wait wait, wait. um oh, okay hold on hold on just just so i'm understanding what? this right okay so yeah. We, we've spoken about real dolls before, right? Now, yes. for the most part, they aren't intelligent. They're just these huge silicon-shaped, uh, people-shaped devices that you can enjoy yourself with, correct? Yes. So yes. you're saying that this new company is actually giving them AI? Yeah, so... Oh. Uh, um. One Abyss Creations is is the parent company of yeah. all these companies, so that includes Real Doll and um, Ro- Real Robotics, I think it's called. Okay. And the founder of Abyss Creations um, actually is one of the leading developers of this their brand new AI called Harmony. Um, <laughs> now, Harmony thought, I, is. <laughs> I misheard you. I was like hard money. I was like, mm hmm. That's uh, yeah, that that's what it is. <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> um, so, so Harmony is in its third iteration already, and what it wow. is, it's it's 
a state-of-the-art artificial intelligence for sex dolls and specifically for real dolls. Okay, but but um, it, it it the dolls don't move, right? So it's, no, I, I don't believe the dolls actually have any animation or animatronic to them. Well, um, uh, well. <laughs> We do yeah. know definitely Except where they are moving. for the heads, mind <laughs> no, you. The, the, and the, the actual, And maybe even the mouth? Uh, the, well, the mouth and the eyes is made to move, yes. What? I don't know about the vag and the boobs <laughs> and stuff. Yes. Oh, my God. So, 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 so does it make slurping noises? I don't know about the slurping. I've never seen one. But <laughs> wow. Okay. So Actually, I, 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 I'm I mean, inclined I keep, to go watch a few I, videos I, now. Yeah, I, but, I keep sidetracking you, but this is this is so interesting. It is. So basically how it works is whichever real doll you buy, um, at the end of the day, you actually buy the head and not the body. <laughs> it, um, wait, wait, is it HomeKit enabled? <laughs> they might just be, actually. I'm, um, so I'm not sure about HomeKit, but I know Android, oh, could you, um, could you Google, just imagine, like, Hey Siri, Nest. please get my real doll ready. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, prepare Harmony for me. I'm coming to bed in 20. <laughs> Like, w- let Harmony warm up my dinner. <laughs> my uh, uh, yeah, that's literally what it is. So, <laughs> Harmony 3.0, to get back on track, is literally <laughs> touted to be one of the most intelligent <clears throat> AIs out there, let alone sex robot AI. And because she is designed to not only remember experiences, but oh, also conversations. Wow. Specifically, she's been newly designed to be able to talk to you about current events. Is she such as, then? Yes, um, as far as I know, she she works via an app which wow. uh, on which is available on Android. Um, I don't know if it's oh, available of on all iOS. things Android. So so oh, hold on, <laughs> she remembers experiences. Do you know where my mind is going? Uh-huh. With this? I'm just I'm just thinking yeah. like imagine some like politician has one of these and then like the Android SDK gets like leaked and then it gets hacked and then these experiences exactly. are leaked. Oh my god. That's the thing. It's scary. <laughs> it's scary. Um but yeah, so she could you could talk to her about COVID nineteen, how it's impacted you, what stresses you are going through, and how she's gonna relieve those stresses for you. And, <laughs> It's it's quite fascinating, actually. This is this is incredible, Edward. Yeah, it honestly is. I want to but, see one in Jamie, person. Yes, well, well, this is what I'm getting at. Like, I want to know how realistic it is. Like, I mean, mm. I'll, I'll be honest. Talking to Siri is a little bit useless. She can only yeah. do like the most basic of basics. So, what can Harmony 3.0 do? Like, I mean, if I ask her stuff, can she genuinely? Give me an answer. That's what you I'm know? wondering. Like, well, I, I see. I see you. You wrote curious. here that I mean, and this is obviously because of lockdown and singledom. We've spoken mm-hmm. about this before. <laughs> the increase in sales. <laughs> yes. So, uh, according to Forbes, um, another company they surveyed called Sex Doll Genie yeah. have seen a sharp rise in sales since the pandemic hit. Um, oh, but of course, and and it's I mean, so sharp, in fact, that it's been a fifty one point six percent increase since geez. February, and That's year incredible. on year, it's been a total increase of thirty three point two since April. You know, speaking so, on a more sort of holistic view of um, you know first world societies and so on, mm-hmm. this is 
this is where we're going. We actually are headed towards a future where we will have artificial companionship. I mean, just to throw it out there, and this is not because I prepared this for this episode or anything, um, I am aware of what's currently happening in Japan in terms of their um, population and how they're actually in severe decline and how majority of their population is actually super aged and there aren't enough young people to actually support these super aged individuals. And that's why they're actually working until a lot older in life. We're talking about 60, 70 yeah. Um, and what's interesting about this is because the, the newer generations don't actually feel the need to procreate. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the reasons. I mean, okay, in addition to the fact that they find it's much more difficult to actually, um, you know, develop relationships because of everything that's going on in the world today, it's because of things like this as well. I mean, yeah. let, let's be honest here, regardless of your gender, you might prefer to have an artificial companion who you can just satisfy whatever need you have mm-hmm. without really having to worry too much about it and now they can converse with you as well i mean wow yeah it's quite only fascinating they, all they need to do now is cook and clean right exactly I basically mean, detroit you, become you, human then, yes then you, you basically have the perfect companion uh, a companion that that will just satisfy every single need including hunger and um they can uh, you know you never have to worry about anything and not speaking when not <laughs> called for <laughs> Okay, this is, this is sounding really bad. You see, this is why we're going to have a robot uprising. Because yeah. what's going to happen is, is they're going to be turned into these like sex slaves, for lack yeah. of a better term. And then they're going to develop AI that makes them more human. And then they're going to revolt. And then we're going to... Okay. So uh, not, not in our lifetimes. In our lifetimes, yeah. we just enjoy them for, for what they our are. Children's and then later children. on, it's for our children to deal with. <laughs> uh, also, um, while you've been talking, I did go to the website. So it turns out Harmony, or at least Real Dolls, are yeah. made to have warm skin and <gasps> self-lubricating wow. vaginas. <gasps> this, I need to know. Okay, this is fascinating. And also we, the app is coming soon to iOS. We need to talk about this more. I want to know more about that, Edward. Okay. Seriously? Can we review one? Oh. I want to review one. <laughs> <laughs> Real doll, hit us up. <laughs> I'm asking with all sincerity. <laughs> I'm... I mean, I don't know how to, I'd explain that to to the other people in my household. <laughs> the most yeah. interesting product I've ever had for review. <laughs> yeah, just be tr- upfront with it. Get your cam out, do an unboxing. Wow. 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 Yeah. Honestly, that's just... Wow. Yeah. It's wow. fascinating. Jeez. Oh man! Wow, Edward, that you really made me made me think. Um, <laughs> I, I just uh, really think uh, your December purchase. Jeez, no, but it's just I'm I'm just genuinely curious because I want to yeah. know how how that actually works. You know, how have they been able to do that to replicate it to such an extent? I think that's incredible. Well, what I'll do you is know? I'll, um, I'll, we'll speak about this next week into more yeah, detail. Yeah, find I guess. out a little bit more, and so we, we can we can talk about it. Yeah. Jeez. Oh, Okay, well, um, for those of you who are listening, um, we actually have so much more to talk about. But yeah, um, we've had we're, a lot. We're, we're, we're going to relegate most of it to um, next week's episode because yes. it is far, far, far more. Uh, before we go, though, before we go, um, thanks to Ian for submitting this. <laughs> <laughs> Edward, do you want to do the honors? <laughs> yeah. So, so in this week, Ian messaged me and he was like, Google the Afrikaans word hoopal. <laughs> Thank me later is what he said. And I Googled it. 
It turned out it's so quite hilarious. No, don't, yeah, don't don't say don't say. If 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 you guys if you're listening, we will um we will link the the Google link to it. So if you don't know how to spell it, like if you're not South African, just click on it in the show notes. Yeah. And uh, it's it's more of a joke if you're South African. It's it's than, super than anything funny. else. <laughs> yeah. Uh, complete but, uh, picture. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Oh, by the way, before I'm sorry, I actually forgot to mention um, the Fanta topic was actually sent in by Krista from South Africa. Sorry, oh, I forgot to thank you, Krista. Uh, actually, yeah, thank you, Krista, for, for sending it, and thank you, Ian, for for helping us Google poopall. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> of all the things. <laughs> oh man, wow! There was there was so much. There's so much more we have to talk about. We really did <laughs> but, dedicate um, a lot this week. But yeah. wow, yeah. Well, mm-hmm. we were at the end of uh, episode 28 mm-hmm. um, with so much more still to go. But it's best if we do relegate it to to next week. Yeah. And thank you uh, to all of you who have been consistently listening and for submitting stuff. Because if it wasn't for you guys, uh, we wouldn't have some of the things to talk about. Exactly. Um, but in, in, before we go, before we go, we want to just end off on some teasers which i realize now we actually were meant to speak about at the beginning and we forgot oh yes um but essentially edward and i have been working really hard in the background for some pretty cool collaborations that are possibly coming up we we can't say too much just yet because obviously it needs to be confirmed but so far so good as in the things that we are establishing look like they will come to fruition. So, uh, yeah, we will we'll tell you all about it more in the future. Yeah. <laughs> Good things are coming, folks. Good things, despite what 2020 has been like. Yeah. Good things. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, so thank you all again, as always, for, for writing in, for commenting, for listening. Um, we've reached some other milestones, but we're going to wait until we get to the much higher mark before we celebrate but yep. either way thank you so much i always enjoy doing this with you more so than even the people who listen but thank you <laughs> and yeah we'll we'll see you all again next week yeah coolio cheerio everybody bye